0: Amen. We appreciate Crawford Powell last Sunday, don't sharing this Word of God with us? And just in, in an illustrative way and sharing with that, so we praise God for him. And these men that are, received Christ and being baptized to identify in his death, burial, and resurrection. What a wonderful opportunity that is. And that's what's happening. You know, that's one way that we show what God has done in our lives, that we were on that cross in Christ, we died with him. A lot of people know Jesus died for them, but they don't know that they died with him, and that old nature is dead, and now you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Second uh, Corinthians, the tenth chapter, we're going to read uh one verse. I didn't do verse 4, it, it, it's just talking about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And uh, I really have a problem the way most Christians go at spiritual warfare, warfare conferences and so forth. And The only place there's a war going on now since Jesus died and put down every principality and power and ruler on the cross is the war that goes on between our ears and our minds. And what God says here is that warfare that we face today is just to have our mind renewed and we're calling this think again. You ever had somebody, you told them you was going to do something and they told you you better think again? (laughs) Well, we need to think again. And this is what this is about today because in verse 5 it says the warfare is really this. It's casting down arguments. And I don't care where the arguments coming from. From out of your own head, a family member, your past, or a spirit. But you cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against you getting to know who God really is. The knowledge of God, the true God, the good God that we've sung about today. And then it says bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now let me tell you what most of you have heard that this verse means. It means that you're supposed to take every one of your thoughts and make them captive to obey Christ. And that would be wonderful if you could do that. and Then we could have gathered and worshipped you. But you can't do that because that's not what the Scripture is telling you. It says the real warfare here, when your mind is warring against you, what you're to do is you're to take those thoughts that are trying to capture you and you're to capture those thoughts and you bring them to a place. Because what that enemy is doing is he's trying to tell you that you're not worthy, you're not obedient, look here at you, look what you did, look at your sin, and he's trying to make you the focus instead of Jesus the focus. And what the Bible says in this verse that the real warfare is that you're to take those thoughts captive and you're to bring them to the obedience of Christ. And when the enemy's pointing at your disobedience so you're sin or whatever it is, you point to the obedience of Christ. The Bible says that Christ was obedient to death. Even the death of the cross. So this that we've been given is not based on my obedience, but on his obedience. It's not based on my righteousness, but his righteousness. It's not based on my goodness, but his goodness. Y'all just let me know when I say anything that makes you happy. Now, listen to this because I'm putting some real good stuff at the front of this. Every action comes from the thought that produced it. Every action that you do, everything you do, every action, that action comes from the thought that produced it. Christianity is not some behavior modification thing. We're not trying to get you to behave better. That will be a benefit of surrendering your life to Christ. How many knows that you never can change a person's behavior until their belief system changes? It'll be temporary at best. Well, you point out, we need to stop doing this. You need to do this. You need to stop doing that. And they may can do that just for a day or two. But ultimately, they'll go back to what they believe. And if they believe that thing's helping them or makes them feel better, they'll go back and start doing that again. Because their belief about that's not changed. If your thinking, listen to me, if your thinking has brought you to a place that you don't like, then think again. Have another thought. If the way you have thought about you, yourself, God, the Bible, finances, future, past, present, whatever it is, but if your thinking, and I'm telling you it's your thinking that's brought you to where you are, but if, if you're at a place that you don't like, then have another thought. Listen to this. Thinking again is the essence of all repentance. Y'all need to tweet that after the service. Thinking again is the essence of all repentance. Now, you guys... Us at Grace Point, we should really know this now, and we don't mean this arrogantly, but most of the church really still do, does not know what the word repentance means. The word repentance in the New Testament that Jesus used, that John the Baptist used when they said repent for the kingdom of heaven at hand is the Greek word metanoia, and it means think differently. The church thinks it means come to the altar, use up the tissues, and cry and tell God how sorry you are for being sorry, or whatever. Come on now. Y'all Okay. But that's not what the word means. Let's just use, what the word, let's use the word Jesus used. Jesus said, if you're going to experience the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to think differently than you've been trained to think. You're going to have to let go of the negativity and all the things that the world's taught you to think like. And you've got to start thinking like I think. You can't have thoughts about yourself that Jesus don't have about you because it's not going to be good because we've been given in the new birth the mind of Christ. And there's only one way to think about you and that's the thoughts that Jesus has about you. Even Jeremiah said, For I know the thoughts that I have of you, Lord. Thoughts to prosper you, not to harm you, give you hope and a future. That's the thoughts that God has towards you. That's his thoughts. So you have to start thinking his thoughts. You have to have the mind of Christ and let that mind be in you that was also in him. And, 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 and your mind is renewed as you hear the truth. So... Let's think again. Wrong thinking equals wrong living. You got to think what God thinks. That's what repentance is all about. And here at Grace Point, we repent every Sunday. We may not necessarily drape over the altar, but we have altars. That's weird for some churches. We have the mourner's bench. (laughs) We have the altars. And if we didn't, wherever you are with God's an altar... But let's get altered. Amen? Father, we thank you for just the presence manifested already in this service. Thank you for these men that surrendered their lives publicly. They identified with you and in the power of that the cross brought into their lives and that they were with you on that cross. You died for them, but they died with you. And they were buried with you and they rose again in that resurrection power. And the life that they now live is not their own, but it's the life of God, the life of the Spirit. It's the Zoe life, the God kind of life. We thank you for that today. We bless you as we approach your word in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Smile at somebody, tell them welcome to Grace Point. Give them a big smile. Amen. James chapter one, verse two. Let's let's just read through these verses here. James chapter one, verse two. We'll put it on the screen for you. James is writing, and of course he's writing here to believers because he says, My brethren. And then he says this, he says, count it all what? Joy. joy when what happens? Fall into various trials. Now, before we read over that command too quickly, for us to really count it joy to have a trial, that's going to require us to think differently about trials. Amen. Right? So in other words, as, this is what the scripture is telling us, that Christians are to think differently about trials than people that don't know God. In other words, trials is coming to, to do something positive, not to do something negative. A trial is not to, to bring a, a subtraction to our life, but an addition. And I'm not telling you that the Lord's sending you to trials, but I'm telling you that in this life, Jesus said, You shall have persecutions. There's gonna be trials, there's gonna be things that you're gonna to have to deal with in your life, right? But he says, you do what with it? You count it all joy. He didn't say it was joy. He said, you just got to count it joy. That's going to require us to think differently about trials. So really, when a trial hits you, you should call your fellow Christian and say, hey, I just want you to know that I got a trial today. And they're going to go, wow, man, I'm so jealous. I wish I had one. And then you tell them, hang in there, one will come. Seriously. He says, count it all joy when you have a trial. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It's not going to produce faith because faith is a gift. But the testing of that faith that you've been given is going to produce patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all, gives to who? All liberally and without reproach. And it will be what? Given to him. What God is saying is that it's not that you don't have wisdom and he's got to mail it to you from the post office in heaven. He's telling you that God's given, when you ask for that trial, you're facing that situation that you need wisdom in that trial to know what to do or not to do the decision to make. God said, I'm going to give that to you. You just ask. But he says in verse 6 But let him ask in what? Faith. With no what? Doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave, a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. In other words, these are outside circumstances that are knocking you around. For, listen, verse 7 For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now it doesn't say anything about a double-minded woman. I don't know what that is, but it just says a double-minded man. Come on, y'all. I'm just saying if you're listening. But when it says, Don't let that man th- suppose he will receive anything from the Lord, it's not because God's ticked off of you, ticked off with you, and He's holding back from you something. When these verses are talking about uh, verse 4, let patience have his perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God is not saying in these verses that you are not perfect and complete and that you are lacking something. He's telling, he's telling you, in other words, these verses, let me tell you what these verses are not doing. These verses are not saying, okay, I want you to, this trial's going to come and I want to see if you've got the goods. A lot of preachers like to use these verses here to puff the flesh, And like that the flesh is accomplishing something here. This is not what he's saying. Because there's too many other verses that says, like this verse in Colossians, that said you are complete in him. That you have received the fullness of God in Christ. So it's not that you're not complete and it's not that you're lacking anything. It's just the point that while you're in this trial, you've got to know that that you have been given everything you need. And what's going to happen with this testing is that you're you're going to prove to yourself and to the world that it's not about your your strength or your ability, it's his in Christ. Everything's in Christ. And to consider a trial joyful is going to require us to think differently about that because trial, what God is saying through these verses, if you'll notice, is talking about things are going to come to you. There's going to be things given to you. There's going to be things added to you. Trials don't take something away. They they give something. Now listen to me. It's impossible for us to receive without right thinking. It's not that God is holding something because he's angry with you. He's not angry with you, and he's not withholding anything. He's already given you everything in Christ. But it's impossible for you to receive what he's given if you don't think correctly about your situation, yourself in that trial. Are you following me? Now, listen to me. Your starting place, and I'm talking about your thinking, your starting place guarantees your outcome. Now, you need to get that. Your starting place, how you, when a trial is before you, when you're facing something, that first thought that you have, that's going to determine your outcome in that. And if you start wrong, you're going to end wrong. Okay. And what do you mean by starting wrong? If you look in Mark chapter 8, verse 15, Jesus has gotten on board the boat with his disciples. Now, he's already done two miraculous miracles of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. We've done, done. He's, this has already occurred twice, okay? And he's used his apostles to 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 do that tremendous miracle of feeding all these thousands and thousands of people. You with me? So that's in the past now. All right, but now they get on board this boat, and the Bible says in these verses above this that they don't even have as much as one loaf of bread between them. They didn't bring any food. They didn't bring any bread, natural bread that, just to eat. They didn't bring any, and they're on board the boat, and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is using this opportunity to talk to them. And he tells them in verse 15 that he charges them with this saying. And he says, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, leaven is yeast, and it makes bread rise. So it's not real complicated stuff here, okay? But almost in every case but one, leaven is depicted in the New Testament as sin or wrong doctrine or wrong teaching. And so he charges them and he warns them against the two predominant influences in their area and in their lifetime. And he says, take heed about the teachings or the false doctrines of the Pharisees and of Herod. So what does that cover? It covers both religious and political false teachings. And he says, don't get caught up in the false doctrine of the Pharisees, the religious uh, group that was ruling in Israel. And don't get caught up in Rome's political agenda with Herod. And I would just say here, and just touch on this, that same warning needs to go to us here today. That you don't get caught up in Democrat and Republican and Independents and, and all this stuff, and, 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 and I'm for voting and I'm for all that, but you vote God's heart. Because you're not a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent or, a, or whatever you want. You, you, are, you are a follower of Christ. You're a believer of Jesus. That's your identity. And I've never seen our country more divided and vicious and all that. Beware of the leaven of Herod. Beware of the religious Spirits, the doctrines and religion that tries to for you to live in such a way that you save yourself and your own sake. Beware of that," he said. And so when Jesus said that to him, verse sixteen, they said they reasoned among themselves. Ain't nothing worse than to get a bunch of Christians don't know what they're talking about, and start talking about stuff because they ain't got it checked off, man. And so now they're they're trying to figure out what he really means by that. They reasoned among themselves, saying, "It is because we have no bread." That was their first thought. We forgot to bring that loaf of wonder bread we had back at the house. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, and listen what he says. He asked them a question. He said, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? He's just asking questions. Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? So now Jesus says this. All right, so we, he says, why, when a trial comes, why is the first thought that you have is what you don't have? Why, when you get a bill come in the mail that's a good-sized one, your first thought is what you don't have to meet that trial? Well, fill in the blank, y'all. Put your trial in there. But why do you begin from your starting place, with, your, with a deficit, with what you don't have? Why is that your first thought? Why is your first thought negative? Why, why is it that, that we don't have enough? This is going to take us down. Why, why is your first thought that you have no bread? Why, why is that our first thought? I'm in the pile too. Why? why we're wired like that. We, we the prophet says tells the widow go go make me a cake she said i don't have but a handful of meal yeah, well, our first thought is what we don't have we don't start out thinking about what we do have we are trained to think lack deficit negative defeat and jesus said, why are you thinking like this why why do why do your your reasonings begins your starting place begins with we have no bread. Jesus said, why are you thinking like that? He says, don't you get it? Don't you perceive? Can't you understand? Why is your heart so hard? Then he says, you've got eyes. Don't you see? you got ears, but you don't hear. And, and, and then he says this, and do you not Remember? And I'm not reading the rest of the verses, but then the next verse, you know what he does? He reviews what's already happened when it comes to bread. He said, Now, when I, when I fed the 4,000, I mean, how many loaves did you have to start out with? And how many, how many baskets did you take up after that? And, and the Bible says they took up seven large baskets. You know the Greek word large there? That is the exact same size basket that they put Paul in when they were trying to kill him in that city. Remember they put him in a basket and they lowered him down from the wall of the city? That's the same, exact same Greek words. So it's a basket big enough that a grown man can get inside it. And Jesus said, when I fed 4,000, I didn't start out with as much bread as I did when I did the 5,000. Y'all, y'all carried at home seven massive baskets of bread. And when I fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fish, how many baskets did you take up then, 12? He's like, duh, disciple. Oh, man, y'all sharp, man, y'all getting it. Y'all tracking. Duh, <laughs> Yeah, listen, and this is what he says. He says, this is how you got to think. He said, you don't, he said, you got eyes, so eyes are for seeing, ears are for hearing. Listen, don't miss this. Sometimes when we're in a trial, we can't see what God's doing. Sometimes when we're in a trial, neither can we hear God speak to us. So we can't see, we can't hear, but we still should not lose faith because this is what he said we always have and can never be taken from you is your memory. But he says, do you not remember? And so when you can't see God in your life and circumstances and situations, you can't see him. And there's times, come on, let's be honest, you just flat can't see him. I don't see God nowhere in this, you would say. It's okay. And you can't hear God. You've prayed, you've asked, but you don't hear anything. So you don't see, you don't hear, but one thing you always have is your memory. He said, don't you remember? Now, everybody in here, I want to promise you something. God's brought you through something. God's brought you through something. You can remember that. You can remember what God's brought you through. And what you do with that is you use that as artillery to combat and tear down those high thoughts that try to exalt themselves against you really knowing the goodness of God. You remember what God's done for you. See, listen to me. Your memory is a gift to you from God. And, and it's never been designed for you. For, let me say it like this. Your memory is not a tool of the enemy to torment you with. There's times I'll tell stories about healings and miracles that I've seen. because I've been preaching now for, for, for uh, <laughs> I remember, 30, 34 years, pastoring for over 28 years. And when I tell them, I, I feel that exact same moment. I call it, I'm drinking from that well. That's what the memory is to do. When I think about what God's done or that moment, I don't care if it's 30 years ago, then it, that water coming out of that that's refreshing me is just as fresh as the moment that it happened. And that's the tool that God gave you with a memory. But what does the devil do? He uses everything and tries to use it and, and flip it and make it corrupt. But that's not what your memory's for. Are you with me? So there's times you don't see, you don't hear, but you can always remember. Jesus said, I only say what my Father says and I only do what my Father does. Now listen to me. God is saying something and God is doing something in every situation in your life. And all you've got to do is listen to what he's saying and to watch for what he's doing. Jesus said, I only do what my Father's doing and I only say what he says. And if we would start doing that, if we would only say what the Father says about our trial circumstance, situation, if we would only say what our father says. Because the father's got something to say about that trial. Because you have a starting point and a starting place in that trial. And, and let me say something. Your starting place is, is in Christ. When you got born again, God put you in Christ so he could treat you like he treats Jesus. Why do you think he puts you in Christ? All of heaven is attracted to Christ. And so and so, the, Christ is where? Christ, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, but yet Christ is in you. But when it, when, it talks about, now it, when it talks about salvation, it's talking about that we've been put in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? He is an absolute new creation. Why? Because he's been put in Christ. And God would never put anything nasty or unrighteous or unholy inside his son. So you are now the righteousness of God and you are the holy temple of God. And God put you in Christ because God would not put nothing filthy or nasty or perverted inside his son. And so you need to start confessing. The word confess is homo logos. Homo, same thing. Logos, word of God. Homo logos means that you are to say the same thing that God's word says about your trial circumstance situation. You are to agree with God. Confessing has nothing to do with sin. Confessing has to do with agreeing with God. In Romans chapter 10 is the New Testament chapter on how a person is to be saved. Right or wrong? Right. So the word sin does not appear in the entire chapter. But yet, that is the chapter that tells you how to be saved. But the word sin does not appear. Why? Because the Lamb of God took away the sin of the world. And that's not your issue no more. Are you saying we don't sin or we sin freely? No, taterhead. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the Bible's true. Jesus, the Lamb of God, took away the sin of the world. And sin's no longer the issue unless you make it one and start worshiping it. And if you're more sin conscious than you are Christ conscious, you're not going to have a very good ride on this new life. And I'm not saying sin willy nilly and, you know, as you quote me on whatever and put me on Facebook, put down that Brother Dale is not for sin. I advise against it. Wages of sin is death. And it brings death to good things for a Christian or sinner who does sin. Don't be involved with it. It's stupid. Don't do it. But that's not your issue. And in chapter 10 of Romans, not only does it not mention the word sin, but it does mention the word confess. And it says a person, this is how they're saved. That if they believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, it says confession is made with the mouth unto righteousness. How is a person saved? You confess and say, I am the righteous of God because Jesus has made me righteous and God placed me in him. And then when it comes to your trial, Christ in you is the hope of glory. The word hope means it, uh, anticipated, uh, uh, anticipation of good. That's what the word hope is. Anticipation of good. So Christ in you is the absolute anticipation that something glorious is going to come out of this trial in my life. Because Christ in you is the, and, 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 and I'm anticipating something glorious. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Something glorious is going to come out of you. I started to call this message Yahoo.Jesus. But I didn't have time to search what weird site that actually may be out there. But the reason I'm saying Yahoo has not got nothing to do with the internet company. It's like Yahoo! <laughs> Yahoo! We got a trial. Let's watch God go. Yay! Trial. Let's count it joy because something glorious is going to come out of this that's going to add something to my life and not take something from me. This trial is going to allow me to display publicly the goodness of God and I'm going to understand that this trial is going to show me that I am full, complete and lacking nothing in Christ and it's not my intelligence nor my strength but it's his and he's going to see me through this by his power. See he says, if any man is in Christ he is a new creation. New creation. Now they're not getting mad they're just going to help with the barbecue dinner Okay. (laughs) Somebody got to fix my plate. Hallelujah. (laughs) Listen, your starting place is you are a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So listen to me. Listen, I'm about done. There was two creations. There was pre-cross and post-cross. Before cross, after the cross. So before the cross, that creation was a was a visitational culture. So under the old covenant and before Christ died, that, that creation, that, that time, that, those people, it was a visitational culture. And so the Lord would visit and then he would leave. No one had the spirit. That's why David would pray prayers like in Psalm 51, O oh God, take not thy spirit from me because the Spirit would come on them, and it would come off of them. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon Samson, and then it would come off of him. It would come upon a person, and then it would leave a person. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon David, and it would depart. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon King Saul, and then it would depart. It said the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And that's why they would pray prayers like that. That is an inappropriate Illegal prayer for any Christian in the New Testament to pray, Oh, God, take not thy spirit from me. Because to pray that prayer is to call God a liar. Because God said that once I indwell you, no man can pluck you from my hand. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you all the way to the end of the age. I will never depart from you. There's not a sin you can do to make me leave. Some of you have been taught that God's like a revolving door. He comes and goes. Whoop, you sin, I'm leaving you. I mean, it just makes you dizzy. It's ridiculous. It's religion. Beware of the leaven of the religious Pharisees They think that their goodness is what saves them. No, it's God's goodness displayed in His Son. Amen? So those two creations. So the pre-creation, He would come. That's why Jesus said to Him before He went to the cross, it's to your advantage if I go away. He says, because I'm going to introduce a creation that ain't never been here before a new species, a new creation, because I'm going to, my Father's going to put you in, in me. And once you're in me, you're never getting out. You're in me. You're a new creation. You are a, not a visitational culture. Lord, we just ask you to come visit. Lord, as you pass by this way, you know, stop and talk to me. I mean, all oh, that's just religious rhetoric silliness. I know you like them old songs that the old church used to sing, you know, but they just had some messed up theology in a lot of them now. I mean, if we sing something today, if I hear the group, you know, I mean, I I don't mess with them. I don't have to. But I'm not going to get them, you know, know, we're not going to sing to you songs that's got wrong theology in it. Because it gets in your head. You're singing them all week. I don't know how many times after I hear what they sing on Sunday, on Monday I'm in the shower and that song just comes back so vivid to me again. But it put it in me, put it in, you know, my soul. But this, this Jesus says, you're advantaged, I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if, if I go away, not only is he going to be with you, that was that, habita- that visitation, but he's going to be in you. Now, see, uh, this is a habitational culture that we're in. God inhabits his people. We're in Christ, but Christ is in us. Explain that. I can't. I just believe it. Now, listen, listen to me. Now, God doesn't come upon you. Because if God comes upon you, then we're back into the visitational culture. So, what, what, what happens then when, when I feel the Lord, or however you want to put words to it, but what is really happening is God's not coming upon you because God's already in you. How can God come upon you when he's in you? How can I come upon this building when I'm in the building? So what's really happening is God is rising up from within you. God's not out there at the planet heaven, and we're trying to get him, coax him to come down here. Oh, come down, pass by this way, oh, you know, all that. No. God's in you. Christ in you. The hope of, y'all looking like y'all ain't never heard that part before. So what's happening in your life is, is Christ is rising up from you, from his place of abode, from his habitation. God's rising up on the inside of you. That that's on the inside of you now is rising up and manifesting out where it can be seen by people that are not even born again. They're seeing Christ in you. They're seeing the power of God in your life. They're seeing that on the inside of you. It's not a visitational culture that God comes and goes, and now I'm mad at you, and I don't like you, and now I love you, and I hate you, and I'm forgiving you, but you're not forgiven. None no, of no, all that schizophrenic religious Pharisee blubber. That's not God. God indwells you. God's spirit's in you. You, you listen. You start your starting place from everything, every trial. You start with a win. This is not some pep talk. You, you start with a win. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be to God who sometimes, every now and then, once in a while, if we're lucky, leads us in triumph in Christ. That ain't what it says, is it? That was a messed up translation. I won't read that one again. Now thanks be to God who, how often? Always Always leads us, how? In triumph in Christ. And through us. By always leading us in triumph, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. It's like you go into those stores, like those stores that sell all that perfume stuff, and they'll have those diffusers. That's really one of the names. And it'll be that thing there in the lady section with the little bulb on it, and I don't know if they have, you don't have a lot anymore, but you can just spray that stuff on you, you know. You can spray it and then just step into it. And swirl one time, then you're in good shape for the day. You know, you, you, you smell like that. God is saying that this is what's going to put that fragrance out for people to see because this is what I promise you. I'm going to always lead you, always. I'm not saying this. God is. God says, I will always lead you in triumph. That means with every trial you face, you start out with the thinking, I've already I've already won. That, see, now listen, come on, get this, man. I'm excited about this. You can tell. You got to get this because this is, now this makes James chapter 1, verse 2, make sense. Count it all joy. Because why? Because he always leads in triumph. Because if, if I don't understand that he always going to lead me in triumph, then I can't count it joy when the trial hits me. But if I know that I'm going to, I start out, I'm not going to start out going, we have no bread. We broke, we bent, we pulled. Whatever you want to put. If you start out thinking like that way, then that means you're double-minded and you're unstable and let not that person think that they're going to be able to receive what they should receive out of this trial. Because this trial has come to add something to your life and and to demonstrate something in your life. It's not come to take something from you. And if the devil's dumb enough to bring a trial, then he's, I mean, he's just dumb. Because this is going to turn out to be bad for him, good for you. You've got to start out. That's like David going out and facing Goliath. David's facing Goliath. I mean, you look at the two. He's a ruddy little kid, really, just teenage uh, kid. And Goliath is, you know, nine plus feet, you know, that's huge. I mean, you know, if you're a betting person, you're going to kind of put your money on Goliath. I mean, he's full armor, sword, spear. I mean, he. I mean, this is, this is what he does. He kills folks for a living. David's got a slingshot. Unproven. All he's used it for out in the woods, you know. He claims to knock out some bears and wolves with it, but ain't nobody seen that. I take his word for it. But what gives him the boldness to run toward Goliath? Because he had he'd had been to a prophetic meeting. He initially was not invited because they didn't think him worthy to be in their prophetic meeting. But when Samuel the prophet visited to anoint the next king of Israel, he was out sending, taking care of a handful of sheep and his dad didn't even bring him to the meeting. Surely it will be one of my great sons that I've esteemed. And the prophet looked them all over. He wasn't critical and mean about them. You know, he just said, they've got to be somebody else because I don't feel the anointing on none of these guys. He says, now, this all your sons? He says, no, well, I actually got one more. But He said, well, we're just going to stand and not even sit in a chair until you go bring him. That's what the prophet said. And he said, we're just going to stand here. This will learn you next time to bring all of them when I say bring all of them. And so they bring David, and he saw him, and he said, this is the king of Israel. This is the next king of Israel. He took the horn of oil, poured it on David's head, prophesied, laid his hands on him, said, you are the next king of Israel. You will secede uh, King Saul. You will be the next king of Israel. Blessed be King David. Got through. David plopped the oil off. He went and took back on the job, went back and looked after sheep. But when Goliath showed up, He said, now, wait a minute. What is God's word in this trial? This is a huge trial here, nine foot plus. But God's word is, I shall be the next king of Israel. Best I can tell, I am not the next king of Israel today. So that's going to really suck for Goliath because that means he's the guy that's going to die, not me. I'm going to run after him because this is his day to die, my day to win. I'm starting out with a victory. I start out, God's leading me in triumph. I'm starting out with a victory. I'm starting out with a win. And so David's thinking was different when he faced a trial. He said, I've already won. I've got a promise from God. God's not a liar. He will do what he told me that he will do. So I'm not going to run from this guy. I'm going to run towards this guy, and I'm going to win no matter what size I am. Because it ain't about me. He said, You've come at me with sword and spear, but I come to you with the word from God. And I got a promise over my life, and it's gonna be bad for you today. And David won. Second Kings chapter six. You can read it later. We've got a real trial. We got the prophet Elisha, we got his servant. We got a massive army of thousands of horses and chariots and armed soldiers that are real. And they have come to surround the city where the prophet is to kill him and all the people with him. And the servant to the prophet, these two different guys, Elisha and his servant, they both are facing the same trial. But their starting point is different. You're not starting a trial to win the victory. You start from victory. The victory has already been won and gifted to you. So you've already been given the victory. So you're not fighting for it. Listen, you're fighting from it. Your starting place is in Christ. Your starting place is in victory. Your starting place is in triumph. Your starting place is a habitational culture. He's not up there. He's in here. If you want to talk to God, don't look up there. Bend down. Look right there. He's in your heart. You one told me that. Well, the Lord's in my heart. I invite him in. Well, where's he at? Why are you looking up there trying to talk to him? I'd be like, you're a million miles away. No, four inches away. Just four inches. Four inches. He's in your heart. you got to make up your mind if Jesus is in your heart or not. How many believe he's in your heart? Raise your hand. All right, stop looking out there through the eons of the ages. Stop trying to borrow the Hubble telescope and to see God. Bow your head, look in your heart, and look Him in the face. I'm pretty fired up by this day. <laughs> Big army. Man. So the prophet, he's just chilling. He don't seem to be worried. And it says, the servant of the man of God arose and went out, and there was this army surrounding the city, horses, chariots. And here's what the servant said. We have no bread. No. He said, <laughs> I mean, really, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. But he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? What are we going to do? Well, you're going to be dead if God don't come through for you. Well, I only got $100 in the bank. Here's a bill for 5000 and that's got to be paid by Friday. What are we going to do? You're going to get thrown out if God don't come through for you. So it really ain't about what you do. It's about what you believe. Or rather, better, who you believe. It's about what you believe your starting place is. Do you believe your starting place is we got no bread? I remember when the gas prices really, you, you know, ten years, fifteen years ago, started just going crazy, you know, just shooting up there, you know, and they was, you know, scaring us on the news. They going "It's going to be five dollars a gallon before you can turn around." And and so when you go to the pumps, you'd hear everybody just, you know, you'd be pumping, you know, the guy on the other side, kind of looking at you, you know, kind. Of, and uh, now they made the pumps bigger because they got TVs in them and stuff now. But but uh, you know, it's like, I don't know what we're going to do if these gas prices keep going up. I mean, one day I got so sick of hearing that I said, "You're gonna pay it if you want to ride." <laughs> he said, "Well, I guess you ride." Right. The church seemed to be more terrified and scared and afraid than the non non you know sinners that I hung out with. I remember standing at the pump one day and and uh, lady pulled up and I was getting I was finishing up. I like them trucks that hold them, you know, like 35 gallons, so I don't have to stop there often. Put a lot of fuel in there. And she pulled up, and uh, I was pumping, and she was getting out, and she just made eye contact with me. I had a baseball cap on, you know, and just working outside or whatever. And uh, and I, I said, hi, and how you doing? And she said, good. And I heard her, you know, crank work, doing her thing over there. And then she stuck her head around the pump, you know. She said, say something else. And I said, hello. And uh, she said, you that preacher on TV. She said, I saw you last week on TV. We used to be on TV where I used to pastor. And uh, we was on TV about 10 years. And uh, on Sunday morning, she said, I I heard you last Sunday on TV. And uh, she said, "Uh, I just moved here from Miami, uh, Florida. And I've only been here for three weeks. And I heard her pumping, you know, and I said, well, you know, welcome to South Georgia, whatever, you know. God bless you. And uh, and so she was, you know, doing her thing, and, but she only just pumped just a little bit, and then she was hanging it back up. I know she couldn't hardly drain the hose in there for that little bit. And I said, ma'am, you You, didn't, you must You must didn't eat much. And she looked at me, and she said, And and she just, it just killed my heart. I just knew what she was saying. She just had no money. And I said, listen, you you don't know me, but please, would you put that nozzle back in there? I'm going to go pay for mine. I I just want you to fill it up. Would you do that? And she said, no, no, you know how people, I I said, please, you know, just for me. Big old tears started running down her face. I went inside, gave my credit card. And I said, turn that number six pump back on there for that woman and let her fill it up. And she, and she filled it up. I went out there. She was still crying. And uh, I put my arms around her. She said, can I come to your church? And I said, yes, ma'am, you can come. She said, the reason I asked because one of my children are, you know, has uh, some medical problems, and, and they're in a wheelchair, and they just have a lot of problems sometimes. But a lot of times, she said, we just haven't felt welcome when we tried to go to church. I said, I promise you you would be welcome to our church. I said, in fact, this is whatever is Monday or Tuesday. I said, we have service on Wednesday night. We did another day. I said, you, you can come Wednesday. That Wednesday night, I saw him come in, sat toward the back, didn't make no big to, to do about them, anything. And we preached that night, and I really wasn't going to give an altar call, was just teaching the word. And here come two young men, you know, real tall, young African-American men. I say that for your benefit, not mine. And I didn't know him. They walked down front, and the first one walked up, and he wanted to meet me and get prayer. and uh, But he, his eyes were just filled with tears. And he said, uh, you're that man that helped my mama yesterday. And then I didn't, I didn't know who he was. He, I, I said, yes, I, yeah. And he started crying, put his arms around me. He said, that meant world to us. And his brother was standing, little brother, Standing right behind him, did the same thing. Now I thought all that reaction over just a little bit of gas. You don't you don't have to move the world to to to, to bless people. And, and and listen, and and we are not one of those people or churches, and I'm sure not that dude. Most of the time I don't never open my mouth, just to be honest with you. I'm not out there kissing babies and running for nothing, okay? And really when I'm out of the pulpit, if you really know me, I'm pretty shy. And I don't say a whole lot and I'm real not super outgoing and I'm not bragging about that I'm just telling you the reality and you know I'm not saying that's a good quality to have when I go eat with Crawford it's really a pain because everybody in Lance County knows him and you can't you can't you can't just sit there and talk to him because everybody's coming in hey how you doing and they all so it's just like you might as well just lock yourself in the truck with him if you're going to talk to him because that's the only way you get him but I, I'm just not that person but I thought about you know twenty bucks or whatever it was. Just touched three people, and then they wanted me to go back and and meet their other their uh, other son that was in the wheelchair, and uh, just a little thing like that. I, I'm not telling you to what what to do, but just do something that what just listen to God. I thought, man, if if that, you know, know, I don't think you can start a gas paying for ministry necessarily. I've heard some churches that done that, and you can get a real big crowd that Sunday. If you say everybody comes this Sunday, we'll fill your tank up. (laughs) But, and and it may be worth it. I don't know if you'd come back the next Sunday, but, I mean, if y'all know a church doing that, let me know, I'll go that Sunday myself. I got a big tank, hallelujah. But all I'm telling you is that this prophet, He's not, he's not worried, but this guy says, what shall we do? And look what the prophet said, verse 16. He answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, and he said, and this is what I want to pray over, Dale. And this is what I want prayed over all of us today. Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Remember, Jesus said, you got eyes, but you don't see. And no, you can't see it in the natural. All you can see is what you can see. But you're not, Paul said, look at what's unseen. Focus on the unseen. And, and, and it said, the Lord opened his eyes, and the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, who had the best culture, them or us? We do. We've got the habitational culture. I want to tell you something. Whatever they have, we got better. Because the Bible says it's better. Better covenant with better promises. So anything that Elisha had is inferior to what you and I have because we've got better. He had the Holy Spirit would come on him and come off of him, even if his name was Elisha. You have the Holy Spirit and it indwells you and will never leave you. And that means there's horses and chariots and fire all around you all the time. And I'm going to preach a little bit of Pastor Keith's stiff sermon that I'll never forget it long as I live he preached at Cornerstone. And you can preach it here anytime you want to. (laughs) But this is a little tidbit of it. I'm saying it different. But it it fits here. Okay. So here we got two starting points. They're both different. One is starting from defeat. One is starting from victory. Elisha is not worried because he sees differently. The other servant only sees what he sees in the natural, and he's scared to death. Now, if all you see is your checkbook, your balance sheet, your ledger sheet, if all you see is the economy, your future, your, I mean, if that's all you see, now you're going to have a rough ride. God bless you. It's going to be tough on you. You're going to be one miserable believer on your way to heaven. And ain't going to be a whole lot of fragrance, and you're going to be double-minded, and, and you're not going to be able to receive, really, what God wants to re, you re, to receive. And you're not going to be that fragrance that he wants you to be so that other people will have hope because Christ is you is the hope of something glorious coming out of whatever you're facing. But listen to me. There is a big difference in what's true and and the truth. There is a big difference between what is true and the truth. There is always a higher truth in the kingdom. Listen, Jesus did not say, listen, Jesus did not say you shall know what's true and that will set you free. Because knowing what's true will not set you free. It will bring you into bondage. And it might be true that you have this disease. And the x-ray proves it. It might be true that you ain't got no money in the bank. It might be true. They just laid you off, and they said they ain't never hiring you back. It might be true. this I mean, there's a lot of things that are true out here in this world, but that's not the truth for you. It is true, but it's not the truth. Jesus said you shall know the truth, and the truth is what sets you free. Now, you ever seen these people that talk about, I'm just going to speak the truth to you in love. That means I'm going to tell you all your your faults and failures, but I'm going to try to do it in the most kindest, nicest possible way, but I'm going to really tell you what a bum you are. You ever had them Christians do that? I'm just going to speak the truth now. I mean, you know, it'll set you free. No, you taterhead. That ain't what that that verse means. Speak the truth in love does not mean tell me all my faults and failures, but try to be kind about it. Well, I'm going to speak constructive criticism. Oh, you mean you're going to destructive tear me down for a few minutes. That's what you really mean. When the Bible says that you and I, listen, as believers, are to speak the truth in love, you know what that means? It says to speak the truth. Don't tell them what's true. Yeah, it might be true that they're on drugs. It might be true that they do this. It might be true that they've done that. It might be true. There might be a lot of things that are true surrounding them. They don't need you to tell them what's true because they are—they they know. What they need is somebody to stand there and tell them the truth. The truth is that you're the righteousness of God. The truth is that you're in Christ and you'll never be removed. The truth is that you start with a win. The truth is that he always leads you in triumph. That's the truth. And if you'll confess the truth about you, then you will be able to receive what God wants you to receive because your starting point will guarantee your ending place because you're starting out with a win. You're not starting defeated or worm. A, you know, you're starting as a child of God. You're starting that I believe God, that God's not a liar. I'm starting with God. I believe his word. I'm starting with a win. Some, somebody says, well, man, I, I tell you, I just heard you always just preach victory all the time. I'm like, Guilty. Guilty as charged. You are not going to come here to Grace Point and get bad news. If you leave here depressed, it's because you came here depressed. And you didn't listen to the truth when it came. Because the truth will set you free. Brother Dale can't set you free, but the truth will set you free. It will make you free. The truth, not what's true in your life, but the truth. So all I'm asking you, all I'm asking you, is that you rethink your assumptions. I'm asking you that you rethink your starting place. I'm asking you to think again. If you don't like where your thoughts have brought you to the place in your life, emotionally, financially, physically, I don't care what it is. But I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you our thoughts. Man, I'm wired to be negative. My wife knows it. I tried to get her to stay home and not listen to the sermon today, but she was just aggravating and came to church anyway. Because I could have preached this with more liberty if she wasn't staring at me from the front row. She knows I can be negative. She's so positive sometimes, she makes me sick. Don't you just hate people that are so positive all the time that they just got it in their mentality? to win, to be victorious. We all need that. The whole spirit of prophecy is to encourage you, to comfort you, and to build you up. My whole goal is to see you edified and to see Jesus glorified. And I want to tell you one of the most powerful ways that you and I can glorify our Father. He's already glorious, but we can glorify him in this world. And in, in turn, we'll be edified and build up and strengthened. When these trials come, it's just to start out from where the Bible says. And then you have to confess it. I've told you this, and he, even the man that I said this to is here today, and I, I wouldn't point him out. But, I mean, I've seen, to, I, you know, I've seen people where they were so defeated in their, in their life, and I saw a man years ago in my office he was so defeated, enemy just trying to just destroy everything. And he told me all the, what was true. As soon as he got to tell me all what was true, and it was true, but that wasn't the truth. So when he told me all that was true in his life, I said to him the truth. This is called speaking the truth in love because God is love. And I looked at him, and I said, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I said, you are just as righteous today as you have ever been in your life. You are the righteous of God. Nothing you have done has changed God's view of you or how God sees you or how he cares for you nor how he loves you. You know what that truth did? It set him free. Maybe not in that moment. You know, it's not like instant microwave hit the button, four seconds, now we're good. You know, have a nice life. But the truth will set you free. Now I don't know what all the truth is around your life. And this may be true, and that's true, and this is true. And if you focus on the truths around you, you won't be able to receive because that makes you double-minded. It makes you unstable because you're trying to believe, but you don't believe. And then, you, then you'll start saying things like this. Well, I just don't know what I believe anymore. Boy, I hear Christians say that a lot, especially more in these last 10 or 15, 20 years. And sometimes the reason I heard it so good because it was coming out of my mouth. I don't know what I believe anymore. I don't know if I believe that anymore. Boy, when you start being moved away from the milestones, the 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 boundary things, those things that God's established in your life, be aware. God's put some things at property boundaries. This is your land. A guy moves next to you and he picks up your stop and he moves it, you know, fifty yards in and, and nails it down. You gotta be man enough to go, mm mm. You're not finna take my dirt. That star belongs 50 yards back that way, so I'm supposed to put it back there and paint it orange, and if you touch it again, it's going to be rough. <laughs> you got you to gotta let the enemy know, you know, Oh, it's true, it's moved, but it's because you moved it. The truth is, God give me this. The truth is that all of my children are going to be born again and saved and live with God. And I'm going to end with this right here because I felt it was so strong. During the worship. And I'm telling you, you're here today. That's how confident I am. But you're a parent, and you got a, you got a you got a son. And he and you feel like you lost him. You lost him a few years ago. We'll hear the word of the Lord to you. The one whom you lost is not lost. He is not lost. And the enemy's tried to really badger you and to make you believe that he's lost without God and without hope and eternally. And God says that even the one you lost is not lost. He is not lost. And in the spirit, I saw him with the Lord worshiping. And this is not going to make sense. I don't care. But I saw him playing an instrument because he really loved music. But never was that big of a musician on this side. But I'm going to tell you on that side, he's awesome. And I saw him playing an instrument that the closest thing I could say is it's some kind of guitar. But it's not a guitar. It's just a string instrument. But it looks, I just ain't never seen anything like it. Never heard anything like it. But in the spirit, I saw that. And I want to tell you, your son's happy. Your son's with the Lord. There's there's another dad in here that you got decisions that, that you've got to make, and they're, they're, you've got to make them pretty quick. You feel a lot of pressure. And the enemy's making you second guess, even a lot of things you did with your own ch- children and kids and trying to make you think you are not been a good dad. And I want to tell you, those are all lies, and it breaks God's heart to see his children be, be uh, harassed by the enemy. You Don't you believe that? God's the best daddy i ever known. And he put his kids in a place called paradise with no problems, and yet they disobeyed him and turned their back on him. Does that make him a bad dad? No. It just means we all got a free will, and we can choose what we want to do or not do. God loves you more than I have the ability to tell you. But I want you to know that God cannot stand the enemy to harass and torment his children, his, his kids. I want you to think differently when you leave here today. I'm asking you to get in God's word. I'm asking you to confess what God says about you. Don't confess those things. Well, that's just not me. I'm just frazzled and scattered, and it's just the way I'm wired. No, what you're doing is confessing to a dead person. You're confessing to an old life that's not you because the old you was crucified with Christ. You are a new creation. All those old habits and all that old stuff that may have been in your genetic line, that's not you anymore. Stop confessing what is, that's not you. That's the old part of you that's dead. That old, all that's dead. You have a new divine nature been gifted to you. You are now partakers of the divine nature that's in Christ. Christ is in you. Glorious things are going to come out of these trials. Stop confessing what's true and start confessing what the truth is for you. I am more than a conqueror, but it's always these taglines, through Christ. I am a new creation in Christ. It's all in Christ. I can do all things through Christ. It's all through Christ. It's not me. It's not Dale. It's not my pedigree, my heritage. It's not none of that. It's Christ. It's Christ in me, but I'm in Christ. That's what gives me the victory. I start with the win. I'm already won. I'm I'm not fighting for victory. I'm fighting from victory. Thank you, God. I don't care how big your giant is. You got a prophecy. It's ain't your day to die. It's your day to cause that thing to get out of your way. You hear the word of the Lord to you today. We're not here trying to knock out some service and play religion and go home. I've seen so many people wiping those tears as the Lord was speaking to you about your sons. I believe it was even about more than one. I had a guy that worked at the amulet service with me when I started out in 1978. And me and him worked 24 hours on duty and we was off 24 hours. And then the day we was off, we was on call. How many knows you spend a lot of time with that guy? And you just have to be in that environment to understand how close he and I became. And I worked there one year like that, but those hours, as even as a young guy, was rough on me, and I I, I moved to another city. And I went to Tifton to be a paramedic instead of there. Because they worked 24-48, and I thought I was on vacation up there, you know. But one night... I got promoted to chief, and this guy was the chief of that service. And one Wednesday, once a month, we would have regional meetings in Albany. And I, he would sometimes come up to Tifton, get in my county car, and ride with me to Albany. And we would go to that meeting and come home. And on that Wednesday, he started talking to me about the Lord. He knew my life. And he was not a religious guy at all, didn't go to church at all. But we just talked, you know, about things. But real peripheral light, you know. But I, I didn't try to, you know, shove his head in the floorboard and make him repent or nothing. I mean, just, just, we just had a good conversation there and back. I did invite him to church, though. So he went to church that following Sunday to, to my church. <laughs> you know where I went. Not my church. I pastored. I wasn't pastoring then. And that's, that Sunday he came to the altar. And in our church we had, he came to this side. And, uh, and I came and came around like here, and I knelt in front of him. And really, I was trying to protect him from some people that might have got in his ear on one side, and hang on, and one side on the other side, holler, and turn loose and stuff. So I was just trying to protect him because I knew he had no paradigm for religion or Pentecostalism or anything. And so I was down there. But I didn't bother him either. But he was just silently bowed his head. And I didn't ask him what he was doing or anything. But I just laid my hands, and he looked up and saw it was me, and then he just knelt his head back down. That's all I felt to do. Thursday night of that week, no, it was Friday night, Friday or Saturday night, one of those nights, he was on the interstate out here working in where all that fog and smoke comes, used to. And I had worked in that. And the semi come through and hit him physically as he stood by an ambulance. Valdosta's ambulance got hit. Uh, one of my employees that worked for me was working part-time with him. He was in the back of that ambulance. So there was just a lot of people hurt. And my buddy got a brain injury, and he it, and it was really messed up, and they didn't think he was going to live. And I got the call, and I went down to ICU down here to see him the next morning. It was just horrible. And he never could speak again, and, and nobody, you know, he didn't know anything. And I was so tore up about it, and I felt like that, I should have been better, done more, witnessed better, whatever. Because in my heart, I was being tormented that he was lost. In other words, he didn't even, I, I mean, he, he he couldn't make any kind of movement. He was just all the cortical posture, and he, he he just couldn't move. And I remember uh, a week later, a week of torment, and, I, and in my dream, he came to me in my dream. Now, you say, I don't believe this. I don't care. It ain't for you. But it'll encourage those that believe it. He came to me in his uniform. That's how I knew him best. And he walked right up to me and he said, Dale, listen. I just want you to know that I'm all right with Jesus, that everything's fine. Now, he he was still alive and he was in a facility. But he said, everything's fine with me and Jesus. He said, I received him into my life the other day and I don't want you worried. And I woke up. That was it. And when I woke up, the Spirit of the Lord was so strong upon me, and I just began to weep. I just laid in bed and lifted my hands, and I just said, God, thank you. And I called his name. I said, I know everything's going to be fine. Now, I was really hoping that he would be healed, you know, get out that bed, start walking again and all that because he was a young fella, but he didn't. A year or so later, he died. His wife came and asked me to preach his funeral. But I, could, I stood in the First Baptist Church of Adel, Georgia, and I preached his funeral. With a hundred percent confidence, I knew he's with the God. He's with the Lord, and and, and and no no fear, no 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 fear. And and I I feel that so strong during the worship today. And you go home with that now, and don't you worry, for the one you lost has not lost, but he's with the Lord. And not only is he with the Lord, and he loves you, Mama. But he wouldn't come back if you if you. If you would ask him and say, you want to come back, he would say no. And don't get offended. But he's having way too much fun. Where's that? Okay. He's a made the praise team over there, so, you know, that's a big deal. Don't mess that up. Okay. I want you to stand with me. Could I get some of my elders and ministry team to come down? I sure would like to pray with anybody that wants to be prayed for today. I'm going to dismiss these guys, let them go. And... uh Hey, if you didn't make it on time for church today, you ain't going to never make it. Hallelujah, because we gave you a whole next hour. We love you guys. Y'all tell I like to have a little fun. That's okay, ain't it? Hey, if you hadn't received Christ and put your faith in him, do that right now. And then come down here and tell us you did. You confess what Jesus says about you. You're the righteous of God. Put your faith and trust in him for your salvation. That's all you got to do. How easy it is to get saved that Philippian jailer was told this by the great apostle Paul. What must I do to be saved? He said, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And so I'll say the same thing to you, those that's watching me on Facebook. Hey, if you don't know Jesus, believe on him. Believe on him. That's how easy it is. You ain't got to do penance. You ain't got to do none of that stuff. that religion Pharisees tells you. Just believe on Jesus. Trust in him for your righteousness and you are saved. And then learn to walk in the spirit. Come to church. Read the Bible. Hang out with Christians that know God. Enjoy this adventure called the Christian life. And learn. Learn. And start from victory with every trial that comes your way. Amen. Now, people want to get mad at me for being positive, they do. They want me to whoop on people and dang them over hell on a rotten stick and try to scare them into the kingdom. But that don't work. For it is the goodness of God that leads men to repent. It is God's goodness that calls men to think differently about him. And therefore, they will serve him. They will live with him, and they will be with him forever. Okay? I'm so glad people are already coming. And we're here for you. I'm going to dismiss you guys. If you want prayer for any reason, or if you just want to come down and shake one of these prayer ministries hands or mine and say, Hey, I just want to say hi. Don't forget that these guys are in the fellowship hall. You can go out, go down that long hall, and you can make your way into there. If you want to help them with those plates, and they'll help you with some good barbecue. And uh it'd be a blessing to you we love you guys God bless you you dismissed.